Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As always, I am your host, Connor Clancy, and I'm very, very happy to say that this week I'll be speaking even less because I've got my two friends together again. Vito Doria, welcome back. I'm sure you heard, we both missed you dearly during the week. Yes, I decided to have a listen to the podcast on Spotify, although I wasn't able to make it last time. And uh, you know, I appreciate the kind words, and also I took um, some rather uh, pleasing looks at the description that you had there. I mean, I won't let the truth get ahead of a good story, but it's nice to think I was too overwhelmed after Sump's win against Lecce in the previous round. I think, if anything, it might suggest you might need to take a break from the podcast until the end of the season, because since we last spoke, Sump have won twice. Yes, yes. So, yeah, um, well, with all honesty, I think they were against relegation rivals. And look, after some really hard fixtures, I think we needed that run. And uh, yeah, some very decisive points. Absolutely. We'll get into that in a little bit more detail a little bit later on. But unfortunately, I do have to break the news to our listeners that Kev Pogjelski is also here. Kev, I'm joking, of course. It's a pleasure as always. It is indeed. It was uh, it was like a bad online Tinder date with you not here, Vito. Was it a bad date? I <laughs> if that was a date, I'm quite happy with how that's gone. Conversation flowed for about an hour, no interruptions, no awkward silences. It, it went quite nicely. I felt comfortable. I felt like you felt comfortable. Oh, that's not a bad Tinder date online, you know. Hey, if I've not got my shirt off, it's a bad date. <laughs> were, you not, were you not shirtless on that occasion? Oh, I wasn't shirtless uh, midweek. when Vito was here, you were shirtless. But anyway, did you um, did you like the Sergio Ramos picture I made up? 
It was. I, I, I just opened it before I decided to get my head down. And it give, did give me a little chuckle. It was it was closer than I was expecting it to be, actually, because I'm not sure if I'd fully seen his beard or his celebration as uh, as closely as that. I had never thought you looked like him until that very night either. I, I think it might have just been the, the way his beard was falling that night. It was a bit rough around the edges, you know. It reminded me of my um, of my Kev. But, yeah, I don't know. You need to grow the hair out a little bit longer, I think, Kev. I'm certainly rough around the edges. <laughs> that you are. Anywhere to grow. Um, we're three minutes in. We've not spoken about any football. Let's get on with it, shall we? Where will we start? I suppose we'll start with it at the top, as we usually do. Um, well, as we used to usually do. Juve played in the Derby della Mole against Torino. And surprise, surprise, they won 4-1, Kev. Any surprises here? Not surprises, but for once I was impressed. I don't think I can say very impressed. We've um, we've talked about you. They maybe sort of just walk in towards results, you know. But they seem to be uh, a quicker tempo, crisper passing. Finally, sort of individually, they looked sort of so much better than their counterparts and. As the weekend's gone on, I don't know if this is just me kind of getting a bit of sort of getting tired with the amount of football, but I wasn't sure. I don't know how you two felt that we maybe hit the point where there's been too many games in too quick a time period and we're seeing injuries, lack of players affect sort of the flow of games. Some of those teams, uh, although they turned over into today, like Bologna, looked as though they were sort of just, you know, happy to just now play out the season. So I don't know, it just felt a bit strange this weekend. But Juve started it by 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 playing with a much higher tempo, you know, almost as if you'd imagine they would in a in a derby, maybe if it was played uh, at the uh, Olympico. But um yeah they they got the job done. Is this them clicking into gear? They they just needed a few matches to warm up and now they're there. Um, maybe I think if it had been a few more, a few games on, um, you know, and then they were closer to the the Champions League restarting, I would have maybe expected it then. So it, it took me a little bit by surprise. Um, and maybe it was that they're on their own patch, maybe it was because them winning before Lazio played on Saturday night obviously then puts the pressure on Lazio. So maybe they had that at the back of the back of their minds. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I couldn't. I wouldn't really say I could put my finger on why it was. Yeah, it does. Just I don't know. It does seem like maybe things are falling into place there. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but Vito, what do Juve's last three matches have in common? Uh, Ronaldo and Dybala have been amongst the scorers. Oh, um, well, that that might be true as well. But what I was getting at was that Paolo Dybala has opened the scoring for Juve in each of those games. And in the one prior to those three at Bologna, I think he scored the second after Cristiano Ronaldo had scored the penalty. But you mentioned the Cristiano and Dybala partnership or the fact that they've both started scoring. We hadn't seen it too often before this restart. Um, Signs are good. Oh, absolutely. I still think that uh, if we analyse the whole Saudi project so far. I still think it's uh, a piece of work that's still in progress. 
but based on how Juve have been playing uh, on the return from the COVID pandemic, and also in particular Ronaldo and Dybala, I think uh, them two are really making the difference. They are the two most talented players on that team, and uh, to have them on the score sheet, I think it's a big plus for Sari and the rest of the, the Bianconeri team. And uh, you know, once the league campaign's finished, uh, hopefully for them, it also bodes well for the Champions League because I think if they are to overcome that deficit against Leon and progress further in the competition, I think it's important that those two are firing. And uh, they're also scoring some goals that are actually pleasing on the eye as well. They're not just uh, textbook strikes. That's true, particularly in the, the midweek game against Genoa, each of the three goals were, were stunners. But what I've been really impressed by, Kev, is, is Pelo Dybala again, right? Because in, in the last three games, he's opened the scoring. Although against Torino, it was after about, what, two, three minutes. But against Genoa and Lecce, it was in the second half when you were starting to get to that point where you thought, oh, maybe Juve won't do it. But Dybala stepping up, and as Vito said, that bodes well for the Champions League. Yeah, no, it does bode well. It, it made me chuckle when we were talking about the Bala's goal because they pretty much provided it to him on a plate. I, I think I, I turned the game on. I went and grabbed a drink, came back inside to watch the Torino defenders virtually throwing themselves to the ground as he sort of jinked his way past them. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they made, they made it very easy for him this week. but. Um, yeah, if he can if he can continue that form into the Champions League, he could arguably be Juve's match winner and not uh, a certain Cristiano Ronaldo who has often been uh, held up as the person that could uh, drag them to another European Cup stroke Champions League. I'm not going to stand for Cristiano criticism this week, Kev, because he did what he had never done before in a Juve shirt. He scored a free kick. Best free kick taker of all time. He scored a free kick after 43 failed attempts, I think it was. What's that, a 2%? Oh. Um, I don't know, don't make me do maths. So if it was 1 out of 50, it'd be 2%. So it's, yeah, it's about 2 point something. Uh, not great, but here's a question. Is Cristiano Ronaldo one of the worst free kick takers in Europe? Do you know what? Do you not think he changed, you know, from that usual style where he almost hits through the ball? There was more sort of a, you know, technique. It, well, technique's not the right word, but... Uh, yeah, more, technique centre, right? Yeah. yeah, more care taken with curling the ball around rather than trying to strike over it to get that sort of strange dip um, with which... There was a bit more of a, a whip on it, like a, a David Beckham style. Yeah. So maybe he's just finally discovered at 34 years of age, I think he is, that uh, his technique was wrong all these years. Are you trying to correct Cristiano? Yeah, wow. You know, I, could, I know, um, I know you, you've got the resemblance to Sergio Ramos now, and Ramos always fancied himself as a better free kick taker than Cristiano, which to be fair, probably is. Um, you're getting a few goals in La Liga and now you think you can dish out advice to, to Cristiano. But no, I think that there's definitely something in that. The old style was 
it seemed to be born after that goal he scored for Manchester United against Portsmouth. And then he just wanted to do the same free kick every time he took one. And obviously, it's impossible to do that. Well, that was a trap Roberto Carlos seemed to fall yeah. in after he scored that goal for Brazil against France in 97. Um, well, Roberto Carlos is another who was a terrible free kick taker, but he scored a couple. But before he hit that, he seemed to, again, he, he you seemed to hit some others with more finesse. Um, if you look at old clips of even when he was at Inter and back in Brazil, he seemed to curl around the wall or over. And then he just went, he started going for pure power after he'd had that, you know, that effort. But there you go. I have, I have one other question from uh, the Derby that one of you may know, which is, has every single penalty delict been involved in been a VAR controversy? Um, <laughs> Whether it's for or against Juve, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen a penalty he's been involved in that hasn't gone to the VAR. True, actually, I can't think of any off the top of my head, so I'm going to say that your suspicion is correct. But Vito Juan Cuadrado also scored for Juve. Um, is it just me that thinks he seems to score every time Juve play Torino? Um, I honestly haven't picked up on that, but uh, you know, he's <laughs> they a have guy just that, invented it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he is a guy that actually can contribute to the goals here and there, uh, even for Juve. I don't think it's in the same one like he did at Fiorentina or even at his in his earlier years at Juventus, where he was playing far more forward. But uh, you know, in this game, he played as a right back. I thought in general he had a he had a fine game. Um, he provided the pass for Dybala for the opening goal before Dybala had a waltz through the Granata defence. And then, surprisingly, Ronaldo did the team thing and uh, managed to pick up Quadrado and he kept his call to score the second with a nice angle drive. So, yeah, it's always good to have those extra attacking options. And uh, although I don't think Quadrado is overly great defensively, I think even as a right back, sort of, it allows him to fit into the team when Sarri is still using Federico Bernardeschi as a starter on the right wing, and then in recent games has been using Douglas Costa off the bench. Well, Juve are top now by seven points. This is the biggest lead they've had this season, and that lead exists because of, I'm not going to say the biggest game of the weekend, but certainly the biggest result was AC Milan going to the Stadio Olimpico in Rome and beating Lazio 3-0. Kev, is it fair to say nobody saw this one coming? No, I think we I think we feared that the absences from the Lazio lineup could, you know, potentially affect them, but we kind of probably thought that they'd have enough to get past Milan. Um even if you look at Milan's result last week against Roma, uh, the performance wasn't great until the second half. Um, yeah, it, it kind of came out the blue and probably puts uh, at least one nail in the coffin of Lazio's uh, Scudetto chances. Well, Alistair McKenzie, our, our Lazio boy and, and Rome-based reporter, has been quite keen to, to avoid saying that because basically Juve play Milan and Atalanta in the next week whereas Lazio have more favourable fixtures and he's kind of keen for people to wait another week before writing this off and Vito given how the season has gone so far 
I suppose he has a point. Well, look, concerning those things, especially with Lazio having a slightly easier draw coming up, um, I think they can still capitalise on that. And with Chiro Immobile returning from his ban, uh, I think it would make a world of difference because in that game against Milan, they had no Immobile and no Caicedo. And in the first half, uh, it was basically a 3-7-0, the Lazio formation. They didn't have any natural strikers there. And I think that's what really got Lazio unstuck. AC Milan welcomed back Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He created that forward presence. So I think that laid the foundations for their win. But uh, I noticed that Manuel Lazzari was having a good start to the game and putting in some good crosses. But without a forward target, it just seemed those crosses were coming to nothing. After halftime, they put on uh, Adekanye, the the forward that they got from Liverpool, was it? But, uh, yeah, um, unfortunately, he didn't make much of an impact, and I think his lack of game time or match experience really showed. Kev, what do you put Lazio's, I mean, I don't want to say dip, but just that result in particular, that surprise result down to, is it as simple as saying that Immobile wasn't there? Um, with the with the lack of uh, Casado as well, it, it's like Vito just touched on. It, it was like they they had no sort of presence up top, but also had no one really breaking from deep or you know playing on a way that will draw Milan out to get behind. Um, it probably filled the Milan defence with a little bit of confidence, knowing that they were only up against Correa, and God, did anybody else even play up front with him? Uh, Luis Alberto was up there normally. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, you know, I think obviously then that rubs off on the on the Lazio players as well. If they know that you know you, you almost go home, go 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 home, um, go forward with a little bit of hesitancy because you don't know who's going to finish those chances. You going home? Uh, oh, I'd love to go out. <laughs> Come visit me. Um, on to Milan, they deserve some praise, right? They've, they've gone to the the team who everyone was tipping as the the likely team to to beat Juve for the title, if anyone was going to do it. They won 3-0. But, Vito, are we going to give Zlatan Ibrahimovic that goal? I mean, surely it's a Strakosha own goal, no? Yeah, I reckon that should have been more of a Strakosha own goal because the way, the way the ball spun out of Strakosha's hands... I think that uh, gave uh, Zlatan's penalty more more assistance in getting into the net. And that was perhaps why I did not include Ibrahimovic in my team of the week. Despite him being on the pitch, giving Milan that extra boost, um, he was involved in the first goal. But I think there were others who were far more influential in that deflected Chalkanoglu strike. And as we're saying now... Um, uh, the penalty he took was probably not his best penalty. No, it definitely wasn't. And you, you kind of expect when you see him shape up for a penalty for the, the roof of the net to bulge, but it, it just squirmed in. It kind of took two touches off Strakosha as well, which is why I'm not willing to give it to Ibra, because the first touch was off his hand. And then I don't think the ball is even going in when it hits him the second time. Kev, you were shaking your head um, with the most movement I've seen from you in, in months. Uh, is it fair to say you're putting that down as an on goal? 
Yeah, I would have been ashamed if I was Zlatan. Not only did he wheel away to an empty stadium, Milan were already leading and it had come what? off a keeper. So he can he not celebrate to if he's putting his team 2 0 up? You can only celebrate. I think a a, a little handout to Strakosa apologising for the fact that it went in would have been more respectful. Sorry, and have actually, you ever heard of Zlatan Ibrahimovic? Well, no, indeed. And it's not wanting to invoke the fury of Milan fans. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Please. I thought he looked... He looked... He, start, he was starting to look his age. Don't get me wrong. Far fitter than I am. And he's probably got... Actually, I might have a year on him. But... Uh, How old blown. are you, Kev? He never came out. How old? Oh, come on, recently we, turned we 39. Okay, he's younger than you. He's 38. 38 or 37? 38. 38. Well, yeah. And, and when he was sort of sat there after a guy being moved to the bench at half time, he looked like he was still blowing. I thought you've just had a 15 minute break. Why are you still panting? Very hot here. It is very hot. And he's very getting very old. And he's from Northern Europe, too. Mm. Oh, why have you done that? I just, I, it just, I only, I only mention it because it, for the first time in probably <clears throat> last two or three years, I wondered whether this could be his last season because of the physical uh, condition that he might find himself in. I know speculation is always quite easy when it comes to Ebra, and it does tend to be like just churned out if if websites need clicks sometimes. Um, but there is like some talk at the moment of him wanting to go to Hammerby, which is the club that he is a co-owner of, I believe. He definitely has some sort of shares in Hammerby, uh, much to the delight of the Malmo fans, as you saw with his statue. But Ante Rebic got the third. Vito, he's proven to be quite an important player. He has been, and in the second half of the season, he has been providing those goals. What I noticed in the past was that he needed uh, Ibrahimovic's presence up front to pretty much serve as a decoy of sorts because he he wasn't scoring in games when Ibrahimovic wasn't there. And last uh, few games that he scored, though, he scored when Zlatan hasn't been on the pitch. So if he can do that more regularly, I think uh, that's very good for the Rossoneri in the remaining fixtures. Someone I do want to give some praise to is Hakan Shalanoglu because his, t- his time in Italy hasn't quite gone as planned. But, I mean, since Milan have had... Oh, my God, I nearly forgot the Milan manager. Since Pioli's come in, they've done okay. Shalanoglu's done okay. He seems to be finding a role that actually suits him a little bit more now in that team. And he got his goal. He was okay against Spal, one of the better players. Um, I know that's not... It's like slim pickings in that situation. But, Kev, Shalanoglu... He was looking like he might leave Milan as recently as January, but it looks like he could be a player that Milan could actually look to build their team around for next season now. He, he could be. I'm, I, I'm like you. I've never really been convinced of him. Um, even when he was in Germany, he scored, he scored go- goals that you'd see on a highlights reel. But maybe then some of his, you know, some, some of what he did you know, passing-wise, positionally went, went missing because you focused on that. And I think I, I, I developed a, an unhealthy dislike 
of what he brought to the team because he seemed to be one of these sort of YouTube footballers, as I've certainly named a few, a bit like Suso um, in the past. Um, Stop yeah. having a go at Milan players. I don't think I'd share your confidence that you could build a team around him. Right. Look, look, Milan fans, I've tried. Vito, what is it? No, just based on uh, recent performances, I think that Chalconoglu has improved. But the key thing is that he's playing in his natural role as a number 10, and that's what he really is. He's not a wingman. Uh, Gennaro Gattuso, when he was coach, persisted in him being a left winger, but he's not going to be sprinting up and down a wing. He's not going to be cutting in from the left and trying to bend it onto his right foot or something like that. He's best when he's playing in between the lines or behind a strike or two. So I think when you let him play in that way, that's probably the best way to utilise him. If uh, the Ralph Ragnick deal does go through and it's all confirmed, he's the coach. Apparently, he'd like to coach uh, Chalkanoglu. And of course, with their experience in German football, uh, that might bode well for the Rossoneri in the future seasons. Yeah, fingers crossed from their point of view anyway because he's he's got ability. Those YouTube compilations, Kev, they are based on something. So, so maybe he will be able to find some sort of form. Yeah, yeah. The, I suppose the question here you've got to ask yourself when we're talking about, you know, can you build a team around him? The question is, what team do you want? Now, if Milan want, if Milan want a team that's that can compete in the Champions League, you know, let's say get out of the group stages in the Champions League, obviously they've got to qualify for that first, then Channel Argue would not make most starting 11s. So you shouldn't really build your team around. However, if it's short term and they're, you know, they're looking at maybe that becoming in three or four teams at three or four years, then a team to get into the Europa League and maybe challenge for Champions League places, then yeah, you could build a team around him. But I always... With the history and the tradition of Milan, I kind of I'm always expecting them to to want more than that. But obviously, there are steps to get to regularly competing in Champions League level competition again. You're doing what some what you criticised someone for doing, which was thinking about Milan as the institution rather than as their current existence. But I, I think it's a case of baby steps for them at the moment, right? It, like at the moment, long term, they want to be qualifying for the last. 16 8 of the Champions League but now they just want to get there if I if I can just uh, come back on what I was moaning about them before was not actually that they want that but I think on a past pod it was that they bring players in Hernandez whoever uh, Piontek and suddenly they give them comparisons with Champions League level players you know Piontek was in that Shevchenko whereas now, that's what they do. They build these players up and they're, no, they're nowhere near that good. They're Europa League level footballers at best. Yet, because of their past, they believe that they've purchased, you know, because they, they desperately want to believe that they found the next Shevchenko. They found the next Boban. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's what they do. I kind of don't think necessarily they, they want those sort of players. Are you having a go at Theo Hernandez again? <laughs> no, well, no. He's perfectly acceptable for trying to get into the Europa League. Oh, my God. Look, I, I just want to distance, distance myself. I've had enough from you Milan fans, right? Just, you know who it was this week, at Rabbit Rabbit on, on both Instagram and Twitter. No, no, no. If you, 
if you want to see some uh, goading of Theo Hernandez, and I can see the man smiling, you want to check Theo's feed <laughs> during the game this weekend. I've missed this. Vito, what have you been saying about Theo? Um, I was tweeting during the game. Um, I don't know if I tweeted, but yeah, definitely in my uh, player ratings, I did say lots that he was beating him early on. But more than anything, towards the end, he should have put some ice on that game. He could have scored twice. And especially after Rade Krunic's excellent assist, he was practically one-on-one with Strakosha. He should have buried that. I know he's a left back, but uh, the professional footballers are playing in Serie A. It's not like you're playing amateur football, as British listeners would say, Sunday League football. Uh, I think he should have scored that goal. It would have made things more embarrassing for Lazio too. Guys! He's got he's got six goals this season and four assists. He's done all right from left back. He's not Gazans. <laughs> no, he's absolutely not. You could sing that from the rooftops, Mister Doria. But uh, are we done with Milan, Kev? You look like you want to say something else. I was just yeah. No, he's done perfectly fine. They've all done perfectly fine. But I think Tao's done. He's not Maldini. That's the reality. Fine. To give, like, if you break down the Milan player seasons, right, and you're giving them all a rating 1 to 10, obviously, it, relative to this Milan side, Teo's getting a higher rating than anyone in that team. Yeah, he'd be like a it's 7, probably, 7 and a half, probably. Yeah, yeah. solid 7, if not 8. Hmm. Yeah, he'd get an 8. I'd give him an 8 for a season. He's not Ricardo Rodriguez. <laughs> Don't get me started. Uh, Let's not get started on him. The, one of the worst fullbacks Serie A has seen in recent seasons. Anyway, we're done with that. Until Saturday's other game before we move through Sunday. Um, Sassuolo won again. They, they scored four goals again. And I was there for this. It was nice to get back to Reggio Media, actually. But what struck me is just that Sassuolo are still really good. They're still really enjoyable to watch. They're really good to a point, right? They're the only team, other than Atalanta, who have three players on 11 goals or more in Serie A this season. And since the break, they've scored 1-3-3-3 and 4. Always watch Sassuolo, Vito. Oh, yes. They are among, with Atalanta, they are Serie A's entertainers. So they certainly are a team to watch. What I did find amusing was when I was reading through the ratings in La Gazzetta dello Sport, uh, the Zerbi got a seven and a half, and the start of the review or rating for the Zerbi was Sassuolo have an attack for the Champions League, but the defence is only of a team fighting relegation. Yeah, well, I I wrote about them today, Sunday, um, before heading to the Tardini for Parma Fiorentina, and it's it's amazing because they've scored 55 goals in Serie A this season, which is already more than they got last year. And it's more than every season they've played in Serie A bar one, which was 58. So they're going to smash that as well, probably in the next week at this current rate. Um, but they've also got the sixth worst defence in Serie A. And they've got quite a good goalkeeper in Andrea Consiglia. They just don't care. Kev, I mean, for a club of that size, they're never realistically going to win anything. Do you, like, appreciate the approach? Or would you like to see Deserbi be a little bit more pragmatic and at least try to defend? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I, I think the risk comes if they were to have a really poor start to the season. And then he might become more pragmatic with an attempt to pick up points and you lose that attacking sort of verve that they have and maybe you can't get that back so and I think other clubs have done that and they've done that maybe to to sort of safeguard against relegation but also to potentially go higher up the table whereas um, you know the old phrase it's not broke don't, don't fix it I'll fuck it up so <laughs> yeah that's it that's the one um, I don't know why I hesitated on that as well <laughs> Face made me think. Hang on, have I dropped? Have I dropped a clanger there? No, because I, I confused myself. Um, I tried to take my my water and I took my beer, and then I got confused by everything that was happening. So, excuse me, but I think this might not be backed up by statistics, but I feel like it is. I think Sassuolo always start seasons well, and then they drift off. In in my head, every year in November, we think they they look good. And then they stop winning. Um, obviously, at the moment, they're having it. I don't want to say it's a purple patch because, I mean, they've drawn two of their games since the restart, 3-3, and they've lost 4-1. They're just scoring a load of goals. Well, yeah, this is the thing. You know, you reeled off the, the number of goals they've scored, yet they picked up two points from nine when we returned. It's like, well, yeah, score as many goals as you like, but if uh, that continued across the course of a season, you'd be relegated. Yeah, the, the point I was making in my article, though, is not that Sassuolo are going to like winning it's that if you're looking for a team to watch if you're sitting down on a Sunday afternoon or I mean at the moment any night of the week just check if Sassuolo are playing and watch them because you will be entertained one way or another if they collapse or if they tear a team apart you're going to be entertained if you watch Sassuolo you were at the game uh, Saturday did you not did you not think for long periods they had sort of possession without going anywhere. Because for a little while, I thought they're not going to win this game. I thought the very same for the first half. And after about 15 minutes, I mean, it was I think it was even still 1-0 to Sassuolo at this point. But I was thinking, can't really see them scoring again. Because it was strange. They were, just weren't finding a way through. 
on Gabriel's goal. And then I, I looked at Lecce and I took a few photos of it because I was so intrigued about the way Lecce had set up. Lecce basically had nine of their ten outfield players just forming a square. And the square got bigger and smaller, spreading across more of the pitch. And there was only one outfield player who wasn't forming the edge of that square. And it was Taxidis, Panagiotis, in the middle. And he was basically doing like the doggies running around it. While the rest of the square just shrunk and expanded. And it was really weird because it was a strange way of just like crowding out Sassuolo's players. And all of their creativity comes from that line behind Caputo and then Locatelli. And Lecce just squeezed it. It was really, really interesting. I've got some pictures. I'm supposed to put them in my article, but then I, I got too lost talking about Sassuolo and I forgot to mention Lecce's weird approach. Plus, after conceding four goals, the point isn't as valid. But in, in the second half, they, they were a little bit more spread. And, I mean, Sassuolo just rinsed them. But I, I do agree. The first half, they, they were struggling i don't want to say sluggish they were definitely struggling but once they turned it on they the goals just came there were four goals three from Sassuolo in in 20 minutes in the second half good game good game um letter in trouble guys they've they've really really struggled since the restart they don't particularly look like picking up points and they are now two points behind genoa and six behind Torino, who are the next closest team to them. Vito, are we now looking at a straight fight between Genoa and Lecce for that final relegation spot? The way things are, it does look that way, but I have a fear that Genoa might be able to break away from Lecce because it doesn't seem that this rot Lecce is in is going to stop anytime soon. Um, they only conceded twice against Sump, and they were both penalties. But uh, before the break, they had a 4-0 defeat to Roma. They were demolished 7-2 by Atalanta. And then in most of the other games, they've conceded four goals. So, you know, it's just, you know it doesn't matter how good Gabriel can be. He's not getting protection from the rest of the defence. And uh, without Lapadula up front... Um, and they really haven't got a finisher either. So even if the likes of Barak, Saponara and Falco create chances, there isn't a good enough finisher to sort of put the ball in the back of the net. Next up, Lazio. <laughs> if there's a team in Serie A that wants to make a point next time, it's Lazio. You don't want to be playing them. Genoa play Napoli next. Then Genoa play Spal, whereas Lecce play Cagliari. So you would expect Genoa to pick up more points in those two games than you would Lecce. It's not looking good. It's not looking good. And Kev, just a week ago, we were so excited for the relegation fight. Yeah, well, I keep forgetting the midweek fixtures. <laughs> I mean, it's good. I tweeted today about uh, the sort of turnaround. So you've got Spal... Spal Genoa next weekend, then you've also got Samp versus Udinese. Um, and then I completely I realised I completely bypassed the fact that <laughs> midweek, midweek, but then like you say, because uh, Lecce and uh, Genoa have got um, Napoli and Lazio, I kind, of, I kind of thought, oh, it doesn't really matter because I can discount those and it will, it will roll back over to the weekend. But that next, next weekend could be crucial if Genoa do turn over Spal and pull a little further away from Lecce if they've not picked up any points in those two games. Um, again, on the flip side, 
if Spau were to not necessarily cause an upset, but beat Genoa, then Genoa could go into free fall. I know that would put a smile on Vito's face. I'd be well happy if Spau beat Genoa. That would make things interesting again. Maybe. Um, but maybe I'm just clinging on to things now and I'll, I'll stop it. It's difficult. I like the Paolo Mata. I like Ferrara. They do good food in the autumn. It's nice. Anyway, on to today's fixtures. There was an upset, actually. I don't actually think this was an upset. You know, it came with the Stadio Giuseppe Meazza. We had Alessandro Bai there. Inter went 1-0 up against Bologna and Inter lost 2-1 to Bologna. Musa. It was the day for the Musas. Musa Juara and Musa Barro both scored for Bologna. Two Gambian teenagers. I think Barrow's a teenager. Two Gambian youngsters, anyway, scoring at the San Siro to down Inter. Vito, it's, it's quite a romantic story, particularly when you go into Juara's tale, as, as Alistair McKenzie has covered on the, on the site already. Yes, it's uh, it's been quite incredible how Juara has been able to emerge. Uh, this was his fifth Serie A game, but uh, Mihalovic gave him a bit of uh, substantial time. So he came on in the 65th minute for Nicola Sansone. And yeah, he really made the difference. He overturned the deficit, uh, scored the equaliser and played a part in the winner. So uh, he really made his presence felt in this particular game. And about his story in general, yeah, just the things that I've read about him so far, I think it's pretty, yeah, it's, you know, not easy to imagine, but it's quite remarkable at the same time what he's gone through to move from Gambia and work his way up in the Italian football pyramid to come to where he is now. So, yeah, um, for anyone who hasn't read it yet, uh, you're better off reading Alistair's uh, article because it's been quite a tell so far. So you can only imagine what's going to happen next with him. Forget about the football for a minute, Kev, right? Just talk about this on a human level, right? Because Juara left Gambia alone as a 14-year-old teenager, um, traveled to Sicily by boat, was, after he had started playing football, his coach adopted him. He had to go through a legal battle to earn the right to play football at any sort of level in Italy. And now, before he's even turned 19 years old, he's scored his first Serie A goal at the San Siro in a 2-1 win over Inter, who had title ambitions. It's a phenomenal story. Oh, absolutely. When you think that was beyond anything expected when he you know, came, up, came, came into the country, probably didn't know where he would settle, whether he would move throughout Europe, whether he would end up uh, back home, um, you know, not make it at all, uh, like so many unfortunate um people that flee their, their homeland. Um, and yeah, there'll be a little bit of help along the way. Um, you know, people that have held out a hand to him, but you've got to say it, it usually is a lot down to the individual's determination um, to sort of create a better life for themselves. I think that's what a lot of people, a lot of the people that you hear, you know, the disgruntled voices about, about immigration outside of one country into another that there is often a very good reason as to why they've 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 left and the people that are usually kind of against that are the ones that live in a uh a, you know, a country or an area where you're you're handed a lot of things that you probably don't appreciate you're handed um and or how difficult the life is um 
in other parts of the world. This is it, exactly. Um, the, even that trip from his country, Gambia, to Italy, he's risking his life making that voyage. You know, it, it, there's no guarantee he's going to land on the Sicilian shores. And it's, it's, it's hard not to get like a little bit emotional when you think about this as a, as a human story. Um, it's quite easy to get lost on the football side of it as well. But I think sometimes you do have to just step back. And I tweeted today, I think I tweeted, it might have been um, from at Serie FFC, so sorry. It's, it's hard to be anything but absolutely overjoyed for this young guy. It's phenomenal. I mean, I'm, I'm 26. If I think about this happening to me when I was 14 and then going on to do this by 18, it's crazy. What a four years. Uh, just big congratulations to him. And it's quite nice that he's playing in the same team as a, a fellow Gambian as well in, in Musabaro, who Vito, he's found incredible form since joining Bologna from Atalanta. Apologies there, issues with the mic. But uh, yeah, about Musabaro, I think it's incredible considering that he was at Atalanta, came through the youth academy, but... Uh, Gasparini wasn't giving him enough time, largely due to Duvan Zapata being in excellent form in the last year and a half, two years. Uh, Luis Muriel came at the start of, uh, well, it's still this season, but he's been a great impact player off the bench. So that sort of left uh, a barrier in a hard place. And not only that, uh, Bologna have had trouble with uh, strikers and number nines in the last couple of years. We've uh, criticised Federico Santander, Matia Destro is no longer there, but he was terrible when he was there. And Rodrigo Palacio has to be reinvented as a false nine. So having Barrow there is is great because he is someone that can play as a normal nine. He's, he's quite fast. And uh, also, Mahalovic has a knack of developing young players pretty well. So I think having a coach like Mahalovic, who's willing to give the young ones a chance... I think that's beneficial for someone like Barrett, and I think he's been very decisive in some of their wins in the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. 100% has. He's made a big difference there. Uh, they love him as well, which is quite nice. And Inter now are in a bit of trouble. They're only one point ahead of Atalanta, who won at Cagliari despite playing effectively a B team. I mean, I'm just going to list... Some of the names that they had on their substitutes bench, Rafael Teloy, Robin Gossens, Papu Gomez, Remo Froyla, Barrett Jimshitti, Josip Ilicic, Duvan Zapata and Pierluigi Gallini. They're starters every week, Kevin. Atalanta still got the job done. Yeah. My issue with this is, you know, what's the risk? You know, when I, when I watched Inter, I thought, well, what are they playing for now? You know, we discussed the gap that's developed between Atalanta and, and Roma and this is where for all the for all the work to get Italy that fourth direct Champions League place you do lose something within the sort of latter stages of the season if a, if a gap does develop between those four sides because if you're out of the total race which had been seen in years previous you can kind of take your foot off the gas and I think yeah, Atalanta, Atalanta won't, I don't think, because of the, the, the group of individuals they've got there in Gasparini, but even though they've got Champions League. Inter have got the Europa League to focus on, but Conte is much more pragmatic. So I think he would probably accept Atalanta leapfrogging them in the league 
to maybe win a trophy because you know Inter have gone nearly a decade now without a without a to- uh, without a trophy. Um, whereas Atalanta, I can just see them you know leapfrogging Le- uh, Inter, finishing third, and hopefully that they'll keep that momentum going as we get into this mini tournament in Lisbon. Well, they are one point off Inter, four off Lazio. Um, they've got every chance of finishing second. They finished third under Gasp last season. Everyone forgets that. Everyone thinks they just, or assumes they just finished fourth. They finished third. They've already finished fourth under Gasparini. And Vito, do you see any real reason why they can't finish second this season? Mm. I can't see why not. Uh, the, the momentum has been great since returning from the break. And uh, even in, in games like this one against Coyote and the game against Napoli, they showed that uh, they don't always need to play that uh, exciting Cavalier style of, style of football. So if you can sort of mix it up with a couple of ugly wins here and there and rotate the squad well enough, I think that bides well you know, as the season comes to its conclusion. So, yeah, all... Also, if Lazio, they have a few hiccups themselves, especially if uh, key personnel, they have injuries or suspensions, I think uh, Atalanta is more than capable of sneaking into that second spot. It's now consecutive clean sheets. Atalanta, it's, it's mad. Two different goalkeepers, two different back lines. Who knew? Who knew? They've just been pretending all along. Um, beneath them, Roma lost again. <laughs> Though this time they lost to Napoli, who will fancy themselves to now go on and leapfrog Roma, their level on points. Uh, it's just Roma have the superior goal difference at the moment. Kev, what did you make of Napoli's win over Roma this evening? They could have won by more. Paolo Lopez kept the minute in the first half, made a couple of decent saves from Zielinski. Uh, uh, Fabio Ruiz, although he uh, used his right foot and didn't look convincing with his finish and kind of hit it straight at the goalkeeper. Um, after after sort of capitulating to Milan after being the stronger side first half, at the moment it looks like the only way they, they go is down. I think that's the third consecutive loss. It is. So they, they, they really need to not even pick up a draw in the next game, but get some points on the board. Otherwise, uh, before they know it, Napoli will be uh, will be above them. Yeah, well, they do have Parma next, who have already beaten them in Serie A this season. Roma did win in the Coppa Italia, but the Coppa Italia early rounds are basically a coin toss to see who wins. And it, that's not going to be an easy game. I know Parma themselves have lost three on the bounce, but they've not played badly in any of those games, really. And Napoli's next fixture. I can't read right now. Midweek, isn't it, against... Can't uh, see anything. Uh, they play Genoa away next, of course. Yeah. They, do. they play Genoa away. So, I mean, Napoli have an easier outing next time. So, Vito, are you going to join Kev in the prediction that Napoli are going to end up taking fifth place off Roma's hands? Yeah, I'll join him on that one. Uh, the way Napoli played this morning, uh, it, it indeed should have been a far more comprehensive 
scoreline and uh, not just Paolo Lopez making those saves in the first half but I think there were other chances too that uh, Napoli should have uh, taken or even decisions in the final third I thought I thought to myself maybe uh, Napoli should have uh, either taken the shot or played the right pass so yeah Roma they did not impress me at all to be honest and although it was a nice goal by Henrik Mkhitaryan sorry um, I think overall the play wasn't particularly impressive and uh, Napoli the much better unit and well drilled under Gattuso so I expect uh, the Parteno pack to finish off the season quite well Kev you look like you want to talk Oh, I was, I was just probably going to just note that Roma played a, a a strange back three that they never seemed comfortable with as a as a team, not necessarily just the defenders. And they 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 left uh, Jeco isolated for most of their game uh, at the top. It was it was a really disjointed performance by Roma, and uh, I'd like to think Fonseca will go back to what was a tried and tested back four. Uh, for the next games, I don't know how long Smalling was out. Is out for? He went off after about thirty minutes. But um, yeah, I I I would not be surprised, given how again the word disjointed um, I used. They looked today if Fonseca didn't see the season out. Well, Big Jim, Big Jim Palotta tweeted during the week. Did you not see? Hello, um, Fonseca's job is not. Under threat, he has my full support. Is that the um, the dreaded vote of confidence? Well, yeah, they, they often go hand in hand. Poor, poor Paolo. We spoke about him. I think it was in the in the midweek pod, Kevin, you and I. So we won't dwell on him for for too long. We'll move on to the second game I was at this weekend. You have no idea how nice that is to say again. I was at two football matches this weekend. Um, it was Parma Fiorentina. It was it was all about penalties. There were there were four. Well, three of them were given. There was one that wasn't given that probably should have been. It should have been balanced out at two penalties each. Um, it wasn't. Fiorentina got two. Eric Pulgar scored both. Parma got one. Yurakutska smashed it into the top corner. And Fiorentina has their first win in like 140 days or something. I think I saw their club account. Hello. Mr. Caprata tweets today. So, is it? It's a good thing, I guess, right, Vito? Even if it was unconvincing. Oh, it's games like this where you just gotta think to yourself and use that old cliche: a win is a win. Uh, given the circumstances Fiorentina are in now, they might drop into the relegation zone if they don't pick up enough points. But. Uh, I think for Rocco Comiso's first year as the Fiorentina patron, I think it's been a lot about glitz and attention-grabbing headlines, things like that, kicking up a big fuss. But uh, on the pitch, uh, we haven't seen the results as yet. So I think it's more a case of them just trying to limp over the line for the time being. Do you remember, um, Vito, you'll probably remember it. Kev, you, you might not. When when Nick was was still on the podcast and the fan base that hated us the most were Fiorentina fans. Apparently, I had it in for them. But then they moved on and the Milan fans got onto us. I think you might have just brought the Fiorentina fans back out of their caves with that little attack on Rocco. But I'm I'm inclined to agree. 
with you, to be honest. It, it does seem like a lot of the stuff he, he says and does is just to keep not even the club, but himself relevant, which is not really what you want. Kev, why are you smirking? Well, you know, they, they tend to promise a lot and deliver very little in the yeah. in the our recent history. Yeah. Um, big Rocco's different, though, Kev. Don't you forget it. Don't you forget it. Um, hello, Vieri, if you're listening. We'll move on from Palma Fiorentina because I've just noticed how long we've been recording for already and it's a long old time uh have we done yeah we've done the big games we can go down to the bottom Vito and you can start smiling because your Sampdoria they won again a thumping 3-0 win against Spal which gives them some room to breathe at last well yeah couldn't agree more in that regard and now we are on 32 points, so um, eight points off the so-called magical 40-point mark, which people consider to be that target if you really want to survive relegation. So we also got these last two wins against Lecce and Spal, both teams in the relegation zone. So uh, it was up to the guys to really capitalise on that, and they did. And uh, Carol Linetti scored a well-taken brace. So I think he's once again shown that He's a very important player for the Sampdoriani. And uh, winning without Fabio Quagliarella is a big plus too because he's been seen as that talisman for the last three or four seasons. And he was only on the bench for this game. So for Linetti to score his brace. And then um, Gabbiadini, he once again showed that he can uh, provide some moments of brilliance from time to time and he took a well-taken free kick. So I think, um, yeah, it's great to see that the extra points are on the board and that we do have the breathing space for the time being. Vito mentioned that 40-point mark, Kev. There's eight rounds of fixtures left. Samp are eight points off. My question is two-part, really. Do you think Samp will hit 40 points? And secondly, will they need to hit 40 points to be safe? We, uh, without seeing their fixtures, um, they could. Uh, will they need to? I'm not convinced because uh, I'm not convinced that Lecce will or mm. Spain or any other teams uh, currently in the bottom three that could get could mathematically make uh, safety. Well, as it, as it stands, Lecce are on 25 points. There's eight rounds left. Are they going to get 15? I think they'll be doing well to get 35. I think 35 is going to be the magic number this season. I, I think as as much as Vito has enjoyed the last two victories, they have come against Lecce and Spal. And uh, they're the teams that they need to beat, though. Right? Uh, they are the. That's more important than beating you, really. But then they may not beat the others higher up the table to reach that 40 point mark. And um, I think they should probably put today's result down as 2-0, not 3, because the two of the defending for the two goals from Lenetti were, was horrific, that you you should probably give uh, credit to their defence for, for the assists. If we're talking about strange goals, um, can we talk about the penalty? Because what was going on in Serie A this weekend with, with penalties? It was Gaston, right, who took it. Was this tonight, or am I talking about an older game? I can't remember. You're talking about the Lecce game. Right. We need to talk about this. I missed it. Um, So, basically, he takes the penalty. 
It's Gabriel, right? Yeah, of course it is. Gabriel makes a great save, or so he thinks. Tips it up onto the crossbar. Um, and to be fair, he had no right of reaching it in the first place. The ball bounces off the crossbar, gets a bit of backspin on it, and goes in anyway. And I might include the audio from the, the clip. The clip from inside the stadium. You can hear the little celebrations as the the Leches, I think their goalkeeper has saved the penalty. And then it just falls silent as they realise it's bounced in over the line. Kev, on a scale of 1 to 10, how funny was that? It, it was funny. And you also had the, the sort of, there was a split second where Ramirez is running in. Then I think he hesitates because he's not sure if he's allowed to touch it. Because yeah. the, if the goalkeeper, if it comes directly off of the, the posts, the, the person taking the kick cannot touch it. But if the goalkeeper's touched it, you can touch it in. So it's almost like he hesitates and sort of holds his body back for it to roll down in front of him as it's spinning off the bar. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very lucky uh, or fortunate, let's say, rather than lucky. Um, and very funny. Very funny. But Vito, I'd imagine he celebrated it like no any other goal. Oh, a goal is a goal, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was in. It was indeed a funny penalty. Just I thought, oh God, Gabriel saved it, and then just to spin in the manner that it did. Um, yeah, I was just happy that it did go in. But you can only help help but chuckle when you see the penalty going like that because it's rather bizarre the way the modern balls do spin. There has been more change at the bottom because if we're talking about results that I'm pretty sure nobody saw coming, one of them was Brescia beating Hellas Verona 2-0. They're now 19th, four points off Lecce. So who knows? Brescia might do something. Uh, please don't let that happen, guys. But I don't think it will. Anyway, Kev, Brescia beating Verona? What's going on? Is it just silly season a little bit? Yeah, it might be. Um I only saw the highlights, but most of those were Brescia. So I can only assume that Verona had a massive off day um, because there didn't even seem to be many chance, you know, clear-cut chances that they missed. Whereas uh, I think it was Toro Grossa struck the woodwork twice and missed another glaring opportunity. So um, Brescia may be up their game. Verona were on a bit of a a bad uh, bad day. Mm. Well, from the highlights I saw, um, Joranen actually had a pretty good gaming goal. He made about uh, three, three, four good saves. But uh, that being said, I thought uh, Brescia, with the chances they had, they probably could have extended the lead too. So uh, Torre Grossa hit the woodwork twice. So that could have added a bit more gloss to the win. And fortunately, instead of going for glory himself at the end, he provided the assist for Alfredo Donnarumma so that you know, allowed them to score the second. So, yeah, but that being said, I still think it was more or less an anomaly or an exception to the rule because uh, uh, you'd expect Dallas Verona to sort of bounce back and still put up some sort of a fight for the Europa League spots because they are a well-drilled side. Brescia, on the other hand, have been largely disappointing and uh, maybe this was just a quick reaction to the humiliation they got against Inter. Whether it's sustainable, uh, I'm not convinced as yet. Kev, we spoke about both Atalanta and Lazio as being something of comeback kings in Italian and European football, but there's a 
perhaps a comeback prince in the fine city of Genova. And it's it's Genoa Cricket and Football Club. Twice in the last week, they've gone 2-0 behind to roar back and, and get a 2-2 draw. They did it in Udine this weekend. Um, is it going to be enough for them to just show this fighting spirit after they're already losing? I think it, I think it does help them for the final weeks to show a bit of fight. Um, I think this was crucial, not just for the point that gave them uh, you know, a little bit more space between them and Lecce, but also that it came against Udinese. So it sort of keeps them in amongst it. Uh, a bit like the, the Samp wins, um, picking up points against those in and around you are arguably more, in, more important. Uh, and it maybe proves to yourself that, you know, from a playing level perspective, you're not that far away from them. Um, you know, if somebody comes along and smashes you free now, like, uh, Samp have done with Spau, it can probably be quite um, soul-destroying. Mm. All right. That's it. Vito, you don't have to speak about Genoa this week. You can, um, you, no need to wash your mouth out after we finish recording. So, any more for any more? Any, anyone got anything else to add or anything to ask or anything to say? No. All Thank done. Kev? I think we've been on long enough. Yeah, haven't we? It's a long one. It's an extra long one. Um, ow! Okay, I've just kicked myself. That was good. All right, well, in that case, don't know when we're back again. I mean, hopefully September, but I'm sure we'll be back at least once in the next seven days, probably twice. So, um, uh, what? Thursday night, isn't it? Is that? Oh, we've got a bit of a break. Uh Tomorrow there's next no- round. Yeah. Thursday. Ah, so yeah, it's back to three days. Good. Um, yeah. So Thursday night after Verona Inter. So just got the next round of fixtures basically: Lecce, Lazio, Milan, Juve, tasty. Um, Genoa, Napoli, Fiorentina, Cagliari, Atalanta, Sampdoria. Vito, you're welcome for those three points. You're taking them. Bologna, Sassuolo, Torino, <laughs> Brescia, Roma, Parma, Spal, Udinese, and Verona. Inter Verona bouncing back with a win. We'll speak to you all after those results. Bye. Ciao. Kev, say goodbye again. Goodbye again. (laughs) (laughs) Ciao, ciao. Amen.
tutto alla zecca, mi ha fatto cinema, mi ha crisi interiori, chi scava nei cuori, chi legge la mano, chi regna sovrano, chi suda, chi lotta, chi mangia una volta, chi gli manca la casa, chi vive da solo, chi prende se poco, chi gioca col fuoco, chi vive in Calabria, chi vive d'amore, chi ha fatto la guerra, chi prende il 60, chi arriva agli 80, chi muore al lavoro. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 